Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if this morning's music is just a taste of what we're in store for this evening, at 6 o'clock we will be blessed. I hope you can make it to that. Just amazed at what this choir can do in spite of Keith. And, uh, no, what an amazing job <clears throat> he does. Will there be any, uh, 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 what do you call that thing, accordion? It'll be okay, good. We'll be ready. And uh, appreciate the frost. They always read so marvelously. And let me just say, this is the second uh, in a series called It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. We're exploring very familiar images of Christmas and what they might have to say to us as we unpack them. Last week, as you know, we talked about the angels and in the hopes that any time you see a figure of an angel, whether it's on a Christmas tree or a front lawn or in a window shop, whatever it might be, that you might be reminded that the message of the angels is God is working through you for your good and for his glory. And there's another image we'll talk about again. We've already heard, we've sung about it, heard about it sung by the choir, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I'm going to talk about one other image for just a moment. Again, I mentioned the Frost, who all of you should just be on the History Channel narrating things, I think. But anyway, um, and I'm going to commit a cardinal sin, Greg Womack, because I didn't receive your permission for this. But last week, the Womacks were over here, and they read beautifully. It was just great. And then Greg, the, the patriarch of the family, gets the lighter. I think it was this candle, wasn't it, Greg? And he started to light it and stood there and stood there this can be an awkward moment you know in a service still didn't light and he thought well let's try it one more time still didn't light but he's so smooth didn't get ruffled he's been a deacon chair he knows about this kind of thing and so he finally just lit this one set it down and things were fine but efficient soul that Greg Womack is, he tried to investigate following the service what was going on, and there was a very rational explanation. He was looking for the wick, and there was no wick on that candle, the reason being the candle had been put in upside down. I mean, it was just completely covered, so I know that one is well stuck in there now because it's very melted on the bottom, I know that, but uh, apparently, I don't know who it was. But, uh, and it probably wasn't you. 
No, I, I honestly don't know, and it doesn't matter. It made for a great entree to next week's sermon, so Greg, I thank you for that. But I was very tickled by that, and, and uh, it just reminds us that, that upside-down things can happen in any worship service in the church, and the Christmas story itself is all about upside-downness, about unexpected, unrealistic things happening, and sometimes it's hard to believe. It's like watching some of those movies and start, you start to think that's getting a little unrealistic. You ever thought of that? Even a movie series. I loved the first two Rocky movies. How many of y'all saw Rocky 1, Rocky 2? After that, it started to get ridiculous. You had uh, Clubber Lang, but Mr. T in the third one. You had Gorbachev in the fourth one. I, by that point, I was burned out. Didn't even watch the fifth one. And then fast forward, Rocky Balboa came out a few years ago and got a little unrealistic. He's 60 years old. He's fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world with the heavyweight champion. It's just not really going to happen. But that's very common with movies and TV shows where they're trying to hang on to viewers, <laughs> trying to hang on to fans, and so they wind up getting a little unrealistic and ridiculous. In fact, there's a phrase for it. How many of you have ever heard of the phrase, jumping the shark? They jumped the shark. There's a book about it. There's a web page about it. It basically is talking about when a TV show has run its course, but it wants to stay on the air and, and, and maintain viewers, and the only thing they can do is, is jump the shark. And what that means is you throw characters from that show into these increasingly outlandish storylines, things happening, in the hopes that they'll draw people in. But once the shark has jumped, inevitably the show winds up fizzling out soon thereafter. Now, this phrase, jumping the shark, does anybody know? I'd be really impressed. Does anybody know what television show that comes from? You all know that. Okay. You know, that it was that Philip who was, Philip Holly, a school teacher, of course, he would have to know that kind of historical thing, I guess. Uh, comes from the show. Now, how many of y'all remember Happy Days? Do you remember Fonzie? A leather jacket and everything. There's an episode where <laughs> this, he, Richie Cunningham is driving a speedboat, and Fonzie, they're, they're out on the water, and Fonzie is water skiing, and he literally jumps a shark. He jumps over a shark. Do you remember that? It just got a little crazy. I have a picture to remind you of it if we've got that. There you go. Uh, that's Fonzie. Now notice he's got his swim trunks on and water skis. Still has his leather jacket on. I just love that. I've seen enough of that, Philip. Thank you. It gets so ridiculous. It gets so unrealistic and unlikely. And, and you wind up losing viewers after a while. It ends its run. But that's what makes the Christmas story so amazing with all the upside down and unlikely things that happen with this story. This story should have jumped the shark centuries ago. And yet it has more fans, more viewers, if you will, more believers than ever. Pretty amazing when you think about it, but still there's so many unlikely things that happen. And and and, and one seems to, to, to be a little more unlikely than the others according to some surveys and polls. And it's not the appearance of the angels. It's not the virginal conception. I mean, this is the most pivotal point in human history where calendars, you know, stopped at one point and started again with the birth of this baby. Those things can be believable when you think about something miraculous had to occur in order for this Christmas story to play itself out. 
But what is harder for some people to buy into is, is the sometimes clunky and chaotic things that happen that, that really highlight Jesus and, and his humanness on the human side of God. God becoming human through the incarnation. You know, God chose Mary and Joseph, who were two poor peasant teenagers. In fact, they were so poor that they could not afford the sacrificial lamb that they were supposed to take to the temple to have sacrificed after they had their firstborn son. They wound up having just enough money to buy two doves. That's all they had. So again, they were a very unlikely couple to have Jesus born into their family. And also just think of the difficult trip to Bethlehem, and she's nine months pregnant. They get to the inn. There's no room at the inn. But where it really seems to jump the shark for a lot of people is when the creator of the universe was laid to rest that first night in a what? In a manger. In a feeding trough. Can you imagine a more crass and crude cradle than that? It's a feeding trough for livestock, for animals. You know, don't buy into those Norman Rockwell Christmas cards that you get at Christmas time that have this serene, sublime image of the manger scene. You know, I've sometimes wondered what Joseph was thinking with all this going on, and Max Licato helped me out. He wrote a prayer that he imagined Joseph praying as he was gazing upon Jesus in the manger. He wrote it this way. This isn't the way I planned it, God, not at all. My child being born in a stable? This isn't the way I thought it would be. A cave with sheep and donkeys, hay and straw? My wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her pain? This isn't at all how I imagined it. No, I imagined family and I imagined grandmothers. I imagined neighbors clustered around outside the door and friends standing at my side. I imagine the house erupting with the first cry of the infant, slaps on the back, loud laughter, jubilation. That's how I thought it would be. The coming of the angel I've accepted. The questions people asked about the pregnancy I can tolerate. The trip to Bethlehem, okay, fine. But why a birth in a stable, God? Hmm. It's definitely not Norman Rockwell, is it? It's a stable about the size of a one-car garage, and it doesn't smell like evergreen or wassail or cookies baking. It smells like animal and animal filth. It's not a silent night either. You've got donkeys braying and goats bleeding and sheep baaing. But all of this points to humility, God choosing to come into the world in a humble way to identify with every person. Contrast that to back in the 1990s when Queen Elizabeth visited the United States. Someone uh, calculated all of this. When Queen Elizabeth came over here, she had 4,000 pounds of luggage. She had 40 pints of plasma, just in case. Two outfits for every occasion. She traveled with white leather toilet seat covers whenever she needed them. She had hairdressers with her. She had ballets with her, all kinds of attendants. The visit cost more than $20 million. Now contrast that with the Son of God born into a shelter for animals. No attendants present, nowhere to lay him down except in a feeding trough. And here it is, the most pivotal point in human history where, yes, the calendar shifts to a new era, and there are more animal witnesses than human witnesses this first evening. It's amazing. Jesus born into Humility to identify with all of us. But it's important for us to, to take that a step 
deeper and understand why he did this and very clearly and it may sound very simple but it was out of his incredible love for us because that is the mystery of the manger because nothing says I love you like an incredible act of self-sacrifice if nothing else hear this the manger answers the question how far will God go to say I love you pre-cross how far would God go to say I love you And God says, this is how far I'll go. And he finds perhaps the lowliest image and symbol that could be found after the birth of a child, a feeding trough into which his very son was placed that first evening. Let me read you a parable by Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher. Uh, It's translated from the Danish into a very common English reading here. But hear this parable because it really sets us off in the direction where we need to go with understanding this. There was a king who lived in a palace, and he wasn't married. He wanted to be married, but he wanted to marry for love. One day he was out of the palace when he saw this humble peasant woman, and she got his attention. As the days went by, he started to watch her closely, and he fell in love with her. Now why this king should love this peasant woman is hard to say. She had no royal pedigree, no standing in the court, no significant accomplishments or education, She dressed in rags. She lived literally in a dump. But this king loved her. But he had a problem. How could he tell this peasant woman that he loved her? How could he make her his queen? Well, his royal advisor said, well, you just make her. You force her to be your queen. You have the power. You have the authority. People tremble before you. They grovel at your feet. The king knew they were right and he could force her into the palace. But while he could force her body to be present, he could not make her heart his. That's what he wanted. She would obey out of fear, but what he really wanted was her love. Well, his advisor suggested that he forget about her and find some woman of worthier standing. He tried that. He really did, but he couldn't. She just consumed his thoughts. And he thought to himself, maybe the best way to express my love to this woman is just to shower her with gifts because I could give her everything she's ever dreamed of. I could put a crown on her head and royal robes. I could dress her in purple. I could give her every heart's desire. But then he thought, how would I know if she loved me for me or for everything I bought her? One day he decided there was only one way. So he rose from his throne and he set aside his crown. He left behind his royal robes and his royal scepter and he became a peasant. He scratched out a living in the dirt. He dressed in rags. He lived in a castle, but now he lived in a dump. He became as ragged as the one he loved for there was no other way. There was no other way. And that's the message of the manger. God's not going to force you into a relationship with him. He could. He's not going to make you, though. He's not going to bribe you so that you will love him really for the things that he gives you. He really wants your love. So he did the only thing he could do. He became one of us. 
entered into our dirt and filth and rags, and he became the earthly Jesus so that we might see, see his love firsthand. Now consider how far down God went for us. In fact, if you will, look at the bulletin insert there, this prayer from a sermon by St. Augustine from the 5th century. I just think this, this is so beautifully put. Let me just read it to you and you can listen and read along. Our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger like we do. The way came down on the way to weariness as we often experience. The fount came down to thirst. He so loved us that for our sake he was made man in time, although through him all times were made. He was made man who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He the word without whom all eloquence is mute. Beautifully put. And I can't help but fast forward to the words about Jesus and how far down he came for us. Again, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He goes through a series of seven demotions there for you and for me. And consider what we are given and what we get to share in because of that. If you continue on with verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now between the manger and the cross, we cannot help but confess that he has done everything he could possibly do for you and for me to show his love. This king who took off his crown, left the throne, and came our way in such lowliness. And when you think about it, it makes so much sense. It seems so unlikely, so upside down, and yet he had to do that, and he knew that. There's a beautiful, indescribable wisdom to that that he knew he would have to come down our way to the lowest of places to where you and I are to show his love for us. So there's only one more step to take. He's already taken an immense step, a mammoth step toward you. So will you step toward him? Let us pray together. Lord, we confess that some of us, even amidst the festivities and the jubilation at Advent time, our hearts really are not yet there. And you have made that huge stride our way in so many different ways, let alone the, the singing that we've shared together, the beautiful music, hearing from your word, 
anticipating being with family. And yet, oh God, some of us are still feeling somewhat distant from you, perhaps from others. And yet, may the manger remind us this morning, oh God, just how far you sacrificed to get here. And that you did that out of your indescribable love. For that reason, oh God, we have reason to be joyful that you are with us, that you are so near to us that you fully understand us and that you fully forgive us. We have reason to celebrate the message of the manger, oh God. So may we, may we sink ourselves into that this day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.